Time now for sports on 104.7 The Cave. Here's Ned Reynolds. Mike, the intern, Ned Reynolds, back in the studio on a Thursday morning. So it seems that Ned came in here with a stick and he wanted to poke the bear by bringing this up to me. But uh, it always cracks me up when these so-called experts and pundits have these hot takes on who's going to be the best team in the NFL, who's going to lead their division, and it seems that more oftentimes than not, they're wrong. Just like this guy who says the Chiefs will be last in the AFC West. Utter nonsense. Guy's name is Adam Rank. He's a reporter for the NFL Network, and that is a Rank prediction. The Chiefs... <laughs> uh, come on, you got to look at it. He is basing that prediction on one player being gone. Actually, there are other players involved, but his, his whole premise there is Tyreek Hill. Hey, the team is not built around one player. Yes, it makes a difference, and yes, the Chiefs are going to have to reform their offense, and nobody will argue that point. They're still good, folks. You've got Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, running the show. You have a pretty good trio of running backs. Now, some of them are going to be cut, but by the same token, the ones who are kept are going to be pretty good players. Your defense is getting better. Last place, what? Hogwash is that. All right, this guy has predicted his order is the Denver Broncos. Hey, Russell Wilson will make a difference in that team, but championship? Come on. Uh, The Broncos first, Raiders second, Chargers third, and Chiefs fourth and out of the playoffs. He does give the Chiefs a 10-7 record. I'm not going to go there. I will say maybe 11-6, but 10-7, no, I I can't see that happening. The Chiefs do play, and we have talked about this time and time again, in what is arguably the toughest division in the National Football League. The AFC West is going to be pretty good, but it is all on paper. You've got to go out in the field. You've got to prove it. You've got to go out. You don't even know how some of these rookies are going to behave in in actual competition. So let's just put everything aside that I can't see them last place. Heavens no. How many people pick Cincinnati to do as well as they did? Nobody. Yeah, so <laughs> end of story. Shut your mouth, NFL guy. All right, so uh, could be a pretty big deal for the city of Kansas City uh, if the world governing organization makes an announcement today that they're going to be doing a little soccer. In a, we in will Kansas find out city. if that's going to happen. FIFA is who you're making reference to, FIFA, and that's the international body, controlling body for uh, soccer. And they're the ones, of course, who put on the World Cup. Well, the venues for the 2026 World Cup are now being decided. This year's World Cup is in Qatar, and I don't know how they're going to do that, as hot as it is over there. It's hot here, too. (laughs) (laughs) It ain't hot. If if you're going to compare those... Those that, two places. That is totally different. Yeah, yeah, this is this heat we're feeling right now is like a spring day. Uh, over there it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what but I That's mean. over and above the point. Here is a situation in which the uh, FIFA will decide on who will have the venues. They're going to pick 10 to 12. They haven't decided on exactly what the number of venues will be. There are 17 candidates. Now, what is this for? The 2026 World Cup. It's not a final destination for it. It is where the preliminary matches are going to be held. The World Cup in 2026 is being tri-hosted by USA, Canada, and Mexico. So their stadia, they, those countries also have venues in the in the hunt. But of the 17, Arrowhead Stadium is one of them and is considered to be very much in the hunt as a choice. The FIFA folks will make that announcement later on today. 
and we'll find out whether or not in 2026, probably it'll it'll have to be organized, of course, around the Chiefs. But I I doubt very much of it. Any of it's in the fall, so that shouldn't come into effect. So we'll see what happens. Does Arrowhead Stadium get some qualifying events? If it does, that is a very big deal. Huge for Kansas City, and it would be amazing. But also on top of that, this would be interesting because if they say, hey, we're going to do this in 2026, the whole we're going to move the stadium thing, that ain't happening for a while. If that happens, they can't do anything. I mean, it, 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 and, Mike, even if it does, we're talking about 10 years. Yeah, away. easily. So we'll see. All right, so I know I made the comment yesterday about how I was real happy that the stay in the Cup Finals would start at 7 so I could actually watch <laughs> some of it. But uh, it didn't matter anyway because it went so long and went to overtime. I still fell asleep. But, man, what an incredible game one. It really was a very good one. The Avalanche had things under control. It's 3-1. to one. They're skating along. And apparently they got a little bit too lackadaisical because the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they are good folks, the defending champions, they held the cup last year, came back and tied the match at 3-3. They, boy, when got down to the final two minutes of the game in regulation, they were shots on goal that were absolutely sensational and being stopped. Okay, they go into overtime, out they come, and back and forth they go for the first few minutes, and then the Avalanche got on a break. Uh, I've forgotten who the players are, but a fellow from long distance, fired a shot, blocked, rebound, poked home, ball game. It's not a ball game, it's a hockey match. <laughs> anyway, Colorado wins it by a score of 4-3 in overtime in the first game. Now, they'll come back. Incidentally, folks, all the games, every single one of them, Denver and St. Petersburg, all face off at 7 o'clock Central Time. So it is viewable, uh, hopefully. Without at least through the second period. <laughs> at least, it, depending on how how, uh, how long they go. So two nights ago, Michaelis almost throws a no-hitter. Last night, St. Louis Cardinals are in St. Louis against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Flaherty's on the mound. I Watched a little bit of the first inning. I was actually at the Legion doing bike night, so I kept coming in and going out, coming in and going out. But I came in the first inning. I was like, hey, he's not looking too bad. Went outside. <laughs> came back in, and I was like, oh, I guess uh, some things changed in those few yeah, innings. He has some work to do. Now, Flaherty was down here last week, of course, in a rehab. He's had problems. That, that was his debut for the most part yesterday. And came out, uh, gave up some hits and gave up some walks, and they hit him around pretty good. He's still throwing very hard. And that's, I think, a, a facet of his game that has to be controlled because he is not, he, he can throw quickly, yes, and throw hard, but he's not going to win being a power pitcher. He's going to win being a pitcher, period. Look at Miles Michaelis. And there's, there's your answer right there. Anyway, Flaherty had a very tough game. He threw three innings, gave up three runs. I beg your pardon, he gave up four runs on three hits. And you go figure that one. Now he walked some batters. His control wasn't sharp. And they finally took him out. He exhausted his pitch count, which was probably going to be about 70, I imagine, somewhere around there. He exhausted that very early in the yeah. game, so they got him out of there. And the relief corps against Pittsburgh didn't fare very well. Pirates win the game 6-4. to four. Cardinals did have chances to win in the late going, but they couldn't capitalize, and they do fall. All right, Cardinals take today off, and then they head to Fenway Park in Boston to take on the Boston Red Sox this weekend. That will be a very interesting series. One of my uh, best friends I was talking to yesterday about making plans in a couple months to see each other, and he and his uh, wife are actually flying out to Boston uh, this weekend to go to Fenway, do some museums, eat some lobster rolls, 
So jealous. But and yeah, and wanted one, to go see one of the game. most historic venues oh, yeah, in absolutely. all of baseball. It's been around since, I think, 1914. Yeah, there have been some modifications to it, but hey, that's that's a treat to go there. Definitely, and uh, he's a lucky guy. All right, so what about the Royals and the uh, Springfield Cardinals? Royals got a win. Glory be. <laughs> the San Francisco Giants in San Francisco, 3-2. to two. Kansas City also takes today off and then heads up right there. They stay there because they're playing the Oakland A's. But over and above that, nice win for Kansas City. Maybe, maybe their pitching's turning around now. Maybe the second half of the season's going to be a different story. But they've had a disaster. 20 games under 500, but they do get a win. Springfield Cardinals also got a win. They're in an 8-8 tie with the Corpus Christi hooks in the last of the ninth inning. Who comes to bat? The guy they didn't want to see up there, Jordan Walker. And what does he do? You guessed it. Walk-off two-run homer. Springfield wins the game 10-8, to and the Cardinals have taken the first two games of this series. Game three is tonight, which I might add we will have on a TV over in KY3. But over and above all of that, the Cardinals do get a win. They're playing better, and folks, this is just from a guy who's been around and watched some of these guys coming on. I want to get out there and see Walker and Mason win and some of these others, because those two in particular aren't going to be here a real long time. They may, I'm guessing this, may end out the season here, but they also may not because they are both their future St. Louis Cardinals unless there's a trade of some sort. But those guys are headed for the big time, really good, solid ball players. Yeah, they are, and they're definitely got some bats on them. All right, so it's been kind of quiet after the initial uh, pushing back and forth between the uh, PGA and the uh, Live Tour, but <laughs> now with the U.S. Open coming up and them saying, hey, these guys, you know, it's a whole, we don't want to get involved. Everyone can play. Very interesting remark from those guys recently, though. The United States Golf Association yesterday, now keep in mind the USGA and the PGA work very closely together. They aren't the same organization. The PGA is a golf tour. The United States Golf Association makes the rules and governs all the events and so forth. And those two obviously have to work together. But when it comes down to a judgment as to who's going to play and who isn't on the PGA Tour, PGA makes that decision. All right, their commissioner, Tim Monahan, and most of the touring pros said, hey, get rid of these guys who are going over to the Live Tour. We don't want anything to do with them. United States Golf Association said, well, we run the U.S. Open, which they do. They run the Open and the Masters, and the Royal and Ancient in Great Britain runs the British Open. They said, well, let's think about it for a minute. Well, the USGA has come under great criticism for allowing these live pros, Phil Mickelson, guys like that, to compete. It's all based on where the money is coming from and the nature of the live tour, which is basically exhibition matches. It is not a competitive tour in terms of these players going for world points and things like that. Oh, they're getting their money, but it's money that may have to be laundered, and I don't mean that in the the legal sense. It's coming from Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia does not have, well, we're not going to get into the politics. Come on, man. They're not in good standing. Anyway, anyway, the fact of the matter remains, the USGA said yesterday we are, we are rethinking our decision. Not going to affect the U.S. Open. But we are rethinking our decision. Uh, We may, in fact, ban these guys from playing in any professional event in the United States. And, of course, the Live Tour is coming to the USA, and they're going to play the next five events in this country. But that doesn't fall into the United States Golf Association 
cover or aegis in any way. So this is going to be a very interesting political matchup as to how this finally ends out. Do you think that that might be the final straw for some of these players? They're like, okay, 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 we'll come back. If they're smart, yes. (laughs) Well, like I said, when this thing started, Ned, we all got a price, my dude. Have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow.